0: Hello, it's Anthony Chadwick from The Webinar Vet. This is another episode of Vet Chat. And I'm really pleased to have a, a, an old friend on the line, Jenny Goyat, who is a veterinary surgeon. Uh, Jenny will tell you a little bit about her history. But uh, we got to know each other through Vet Dynamics, which is run by uh, another friend, or two friends, Vicky and Alan Robinson. And uh, Jenny was at that point starting to look at how she could do some different things with coaching and has gone on to do some fabulous things supporting the profession in coaching and we'll talk about that today but Jenny first of all you know welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you very much and um, we're excited to be here.
0: Thanks Jenny. So tell us a little bit about yourself obviously veterinary surgeon where did you qualify from what did you get up in up to in early career and, and what made you perhaps make that jump into coaching?
1: Yeah. Okay. Um, Right. I'll try and keep it in a nutshell. So I graduated 22 years ago now, which is, yeah, from 2001 from the RVC. Um, And I started out in small animal practice on the edge of London with a kind of fairly typical, um, you know, I think it is changing now, but um, kind of quite typical mindset, I think, um, of, of, having very high expectations on myself um you know you've just come out of being trained in a very academic referral type environment so um I enjoyed practice and I feel like I was a was a good vet um but I did struggle with sort of constantly comparing myself to referral surgeons worrying a lot um and and finding it kind of quite high pressure so um I'd always enjoyed surgery and I thought specialising would be the way forward to just try and be be really good at a slightly more narrow range of things. So um, I went back to the RVC and did an internship and started down the kind of specialist pathway, really. I wanted to go and be a referral surgeon. Um, and I had a bit of a, 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 so I loved my internship, really enjoyed that. Um, but I did kind of start to look further down the pathway of specialisation and, and came to the realisation during that year that that probably wasn't the right thing for me either mainly around work-life balance um, reasons so I I went back to general practice and I thought right okay well I'll do a certificate that's like part of both Um, and I'd been back in general practice in a really lovely supportive practice for about two weeks and I just and I committed to them for two years but I just I just knew within two weeks that it wasn't I I was just thinking I I don't think I can do this till I retire Um, and that was a really difficult time um, I continued. I just buried that though because I'd made this commitment, and I, I was looking around thinking, well, everyone else seems to be quite happy. Maybe the problem is me. Um, and so I, I just doubled down, and I kept kind of reaching the point of burnout and mental health problems. And I'd wanted to be a vet. Very typical. Read James Harriet. Come from a farming background. Always wanted to be a vet since about five years of age. It took me an awful lot of hard work and effort to get into vet school. Um, so. I, d- I didn't know what to do with those feelings, really, you know, my my whole lifelong dream i had achieved. And then it kept pushing me to the point, the point of burnout and mental health problems. And I, I really struggled with that. So um, I that was when I sort of started this. OK, how do I resolve that? I don't want to leave my beloved profession, but I can't keep keep going like this. And uh, now back in the day then, life coaching was was a very new thing. And it wasn't, you know, there wasn't Vets, Stego, Diversify didn't exist. Um, so I just started dabbling myself, really, in a bit of life coaching. And I went down to London and worked with some careers analysts because I knew I was good at stuff. I, I knew I had skills and talents and I couldn't understand the cognitive dissonance about it. Um, and through doing that coaching work on myself, having it done to me, I started to see through the mists. I started to see, okay, right, I can understand my transferable skills because I was like, okay, so I can diagnose, diagnose and remove splenic torsion. That's brilliant. I don't know how to port that into anything else. Not realizing just what an incredible set of transferable skills that we have as veterinary professionals. So that really helped. Also looking at things like my psychometric profiling, I don't, my mind doesn't, you know, my brain preferences are not like that of a typical veterinary surgeon. And and that was a real moment of self-acceptance and understanding for myself. And so um, to cut a long story short from then, since then, I've done about six or seven diversifications through the vet profession, some clinical, some non-clinical. And really, as you mentioned at the start, it was when I moved. So I kind of I worked my way um, kind of up to the top of of vets now in various non-clinical roles which was, which was really brilliant, actually, to, to, I learned by osmosis, a lot of things around practice, finance, HR, recruitment, marketing, how multi-layered organizations work, um, and lots of useful things, um, and, and, and then kind of, when my journey with vets now came to an end, um, but predominantly because I'd moved to Devon and met my husband and didn't want to be, I was living out of a suitcase and traveling all over the UK, which was fab. But then um, I joined Vet Dynamics and um, Alan Robinson and and the team working with independent practice owners. And that's really where the coaching aspect came in. Um, Because a lot of the work that they do is around coaching practice leaders on many different aspects. Um, And it was through that, that I kind of discovered, I discovered how much I enjoyed coaching and how it's it's a really natural style for me anyway. Um, and and I just happened to be quite good at it. I was su- surprised by the feedback that that I got. And actually, it took me a while to to grow into the confidence of accepting that that's what I'm really good at. Then then the, the diversification after that came after um, I had my daughter. And a lot of the work I've been doing with Vet Dynamics um, was around practice development in the business as, as well as developing leaders. Um, but I'd realized through that journey that my heart, my heart was deeply in personal transformation. Um, and so I set up Vet Harmony at uh, the back end of 2017, actually with your, with your assistance, Anthony. So thank you very much for that. Um, and I've been doing that now for the last five years, uh, which is me in my absolute career sweet spot. I've, I've really, really loved that.
0: You talked just a little bit before about um, psychometric testing. Uh, and and obviously you'd done some of those earlier and then obviously came to work with Alan, where I'm sure you've come across talent dynamic. I mean, which are the ones that um, you particularly most resonate with? And is that something that you use pretty much in all your coaching? Because I found it quite transformational for me, realising in the talent dynamic um, forum that I was a star. And this was why, you know, I actually really liked doing all the consultations with clients because you are presenting, but I probably wasn't that great at the administrative side. And so beginning to understand yourself more is probably the first stage of actually having a more um, fruitful life, isn't it? Because if you know what you're good at and what you can become world-class at, you'll probably do more of that and less of the stuff that you're not terribly good at and that frustrates you when you have to do it
1: yeah absolutely um so i have quite strong feelings about profiling um i've i've had just about every different type of profiling test done on me um mm. and i think they've all got different they all measure slightly different things um what what I feel about I, I feel that profiling is an absolutely fantastic tool but it has to be it, it needs to be in the right hands so um yeah. what it what you what it doesn't need to be is about pigeonholing or about labeling or sticking you just in one box or one quadrant yeah. or whatever because I think as human beings we are holistic we are all things at all times so so I think the skill it, I think So yes, I have a particular type of profiling that I do in my business that I've gravitated towards because I find it works really well with vets because it's based more on brain physiology than and dominance patterns within the brain than it is about personality. Um, Mm. So I I find that one for me works really, really well. That's HBDI. It's quite similarly aligned with Talent Dynamics, Um, but I think really a lot of it's around the skill of the practitioner as well. So the way I work with profiling is that I take the person fills in the thing I take those suggestions and I feel like your job as a practitioner is to say right based on how you've answered this is what it's suggesting what do you think Mm -hmm. and then your job as the kind of being person being profiled is to see what resonates but taking into account your timeline your life journey who you feel you are and in that space between the profilee and the practitioner that's where the magic happens so we we are not something that comes off a off a printer saying oh you're a blue quadrant person but it mm. but by using that as a tool you can have really yeah. brilliant levels of self self acceptance and choice so as you say Anthony, it it's, it's not about trying to be omnicompetent in all things but it's about saying right i am going to lean even further into this zone of genius and actually i'm going to outsource or not take roles that are, are in this lower preference area or we can say, actually, that's a lower preference area. And actually, I do want to upskill on it. So I'm going to put myself in a growth mindset and work really hard. And I've seen yeah. my profile shift through my choices in, in accordance. So I do. I love it. I find it fascinating. And I can never stick to time when I'm doing one of those.
0: And, and talk to us a little bit about um, how Vet Harmony has developed, because obviously you came out of uh, Alan's uh, business, obviously, with a child, priorities change. This was something that you really wanted to start to uh, develop. And, you know, from the outside looking in, it's been really exciting to see how that's helped people because we, we all need coaching, don't we? And not all of us accept that we need coaching, but actually you look at football teams when they're doing really well, they don't suddenly say, oh, we're doing really well. Sorry, Jürgen, you don't need a job anymore because the, the football team's playing so well. How do we make that, is is that becoming more mainstream, do you think, Jenny, with, um, you know, people like yourself working on that in the veterinary profession, or is it still a little bit of a, you know, a sort of niche area that some vets go into, but not as many perhaps, and nurses, you know, as there should be?
1: I think it's changing. I think it's shifting. I I think I think sometimes there's a difference so I think when it comes to clinical coaching and mentoring I think the profession is all over that and doing you know doing mm-hmm. the focus is heavily on that and actually I probably need to give a shout out to Ebony and the Vets Stake diversify team here in terms of I think they've done fantastic work on shifting people's opinions on having coaching and mentoring for yourself for your own personal development um and hopefully myself and the other vet coaches in, in the space like Libby um Cameron Thompson and Katie Ford and Caroline Crowe um you know there's, there's a few of us that have been supporting the profession and I think ra- raising that awareness and um uh Adrian Nelson Pat I need to mention as well um so so I think it when so when I've done talks, quite often that's a question that I will ask at London Vet Show or at Spiv's or wherever I'm speaking to say, who here put your hand up if you have had non clinical coaching, so coaching for your own personal development. And I would have said five or six years ago when I got started, there would barely barely be a hand up. Now it's probably a third, sometimes a third to a half, which is brilliant. So it's going in the right direction. Um, And I think the shift to come next is that coaching isn't only for it not it's not like a remedial therapeutic thing always as in you know when I've just done my professional certified coach training and a big emphasis there is on it's almost like it helps you to get the best out of yourself so it's it's um it's it's very helpful when you are lost and stuck, but it's not only for that as well. It can it can just help you, as you say, with sports coaching, for example, to get the best out of yourself.
0: Yeah, I think that's so important because it can be linked in with counselling, which of course, you very know, different. it isn't. Um, that people seem to think it's only the time to do it is when you are going through a bad spell. Uh, and And then obviously you possibly need more counselling than coaching don't you
1: yeah I have some clients where we're doing both so as I think your skill when you're doing your onboarding I'm always tuning in for what does this person need do they need more therapeutic help are we trying to get them from minus five up to ground zero or Mm. is this person ready for coaching because coaching asks you it's very you have to have accountability and self-responsibility you have to be in a place where you see that you're the common denominator in the things the out you know what's happening in your life and be ready to shift your thinking not do what you've always done you know what what you've always done has got you very successfully to this point but what's got you here isn't probably not what's going to get you to where you next want to go and there you're going to need to change behaviors thinking patterns um it's not necessarily that it's very cathartic work but it's not always the easiest of work and you have to be ready Mm. and when I'm talking to a potential client that's what I'm assessing and I will signpost quite vociferously to say actually I think you need more therapeutic help whether that's you know therapy is more looking at what not I don't believe anyone's broken and needs fixing but therapy is more more focused around where are the challenges and and what needs to repair and heal Hmm. coaching is much more future focused in terms of Where do you want to be? Do you even know what you want? Let's work out what you want. or Let's create what you want. And how are we going to get you there? So it's focused in the opposite direction to therapy.
0: As you say, the skills that got you to learn how to ski, as in snow plowing down a green (laughs) slope, won't actually get you down a black black slope. You have to learn a different technique to get down a black, don't you?
1: Yeah. And, And I think an important point there is it's not always about more upwards more qualification higher level harder work like i talk a lot about ev- evolving and evolution of what's the what's the next what's the next right most aligned thing for you at this stage of your life and that might be upwards and more it might be less and down it might be sideways it can, evolution can go in any direction and i think yeah. sometimes quite a lot of the clients i work with need permission to actually do less to slow down yeah to go for what they want rather than what they think they should have or what they see their peers doing, especially in a quite, you know, perfectionist, high level, goal orientated profession. Um, I do a lot of giving, helping people give themselves permission to actually do less.
0: Yeah. And I think it's right with the skiing thing. I took up skiing quite late and although I would love the idea of going down a black run, actually I'm more a sort of blue type person who can just about manage blues. I'm pretty tall and I I sort of turn at the same speed as the Titanic. So I'm probably not (laughs) best on these tight black runs. So no, it is a really good point because I think we all want to do better, but it's also accepting ourselves as we are with our, you know, we do have limitations as well, don't we sometimes, you know, if you, you know, we have limitations of height or, or whatever. So no, it's a really good point as well.
1: The Webinar Vet has been serving the veterinary community with CPD for over a decade, but did you know we offer so much more than just that? Our sister company, Sympathy Vets, have veterinary jobs all in one place. We serve the full veterinary team, providing permanent and local roles in practice, whilst also providing a simple and transparent solution to IR35 where needed. We also care about the environment. That's why we plant trees for every one of our practice members. To find out more, please visit simplyvets.com today.
0: I wanted to uh, talk to you about your own personal growth now, uh, Jenny, because your your side hustle, which has become a bit more than a side <laughs> hustle, um, but which has excited me almost as much as your uh, journey on on. On coaching and training has been your your journey on the pod with your husband so perhaps tell us a little bit about what the pod is
1: yes so uh oh my goodness how to how to keep it concise and in a nutshell okay so the the pod itself um uh, is this beautiful incredible creation from my um husband kyle um it's a floating glamping pod in essence so he he has it's been probably 10 me- 10 years in conception and creation um it's hand built from wood it's geodesic but like a solid a solid wooden geodesic dome structure it floats on a 7 meter platform it's um it treads very lightly on the on the or well, it floats on the lake so it's not even on the earth um, and it's for two people and you can go and stay in it and it sits on a gorgeous 200 meter long lake nestled on the edge of Dartmoor in Devon um, and it's it's yeah taken quite a lot to uh, get it to where it is now
0: I think it probably um shows that the the two of you are quite persistent because I know you've had problems with planning with finance you know I've been chatting to you quite often and and uh, in the sort of period of it of it sort of developing and growing but now it is actually uh, having people coming in to stay and I know you've had so many wonderful testimonials from that and I suppose when something like that works well having that gratitude sort of reflected back to you is hugely satisfying isn't it
1: it is definitely and and actually people are very interested in the story of how and why it came to be because it is quite a unique thing um and so, quite often, when Kyle's doing the check-ins, he, he's trying to say to someone, "Can I show you how to use the log burner?" And they're like, oh, "How did you make this? And why did you make that? And how does this bit work?" And and yeah. the the journey of why we even made it and and how it came to be is often more interesting to people than than <laughs> when we're trying to check them in.
0: Yeah, no, that that's really interesting, and I, I think it's it, storytelling is is such a great way of. Of actually being able to get a message across and I think part of the message although it's this physical pod that you've built has been I think both of your love for the environment hasn't it and for environment but also how environment ties together with mental health. I mean there's a lot of studies now that show that uh, people who um, are having a hard time um, are actually getting prescribed green spaces and blue spaces by their doctors and that that prescribing is often more effective than necessarily you know giving depression tablets or whatever
1: Mm -hmm. yeah definitely I mean Kyle's original driver to build the pod in the first place was to create a beautiful space that just takes you out of your normal life and and captures the essence of um, I don't know if you've had this experience when you're a kid and like you discover somewhere usually in nature and you think you're the first person that's ever found anything like it and just that that magic that childlike magic of discovering somewhere secret and and amazing and, and that was the the sort of feeling that he wanted to create and it being in nature and it being well off grid and in nature not in an urban environment at all was important for for that kind of getting back to the wild um benefit to mental health and then with it being floating that adds another another dynamic and the number of people when we because we didn't own a lake we didn't have any investment money we didn't have planning permission the lake can't be in a flood zone because people stay in it so trying to and it can't be on the area of outstanding natural beauty or in the dartmoor national park so trying to find a body of water that fitted all of those criteria um and the number of people who said just build it on land it's a nice structure why don't you just get in a field And, and completely missing the our our point yes. of no, we want it to be here. Um and the 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 number of guests where they arrive and they're seeking that mental health benefit in terms of we just want to stop. Just want mm. to do nothing. We want to hunker down and because there's no Wi Fi, because there's no signal, because there's you you just have to be in this beautiful environment um uh then it all it, it, people are saying it gives me the excuse to, to legitimately stop and do nothing and just rest. And I think people need that. We, well, we know we need it.
0: Mm, and I think when I look back and you talk about the secret places, uh, my parents had a caravan in Gisborne in the trough of Boland and I used to wander off into fields, you know, where you could see the spotted flycatchers flying. And I remember just lying on my tummy with my binoculars and just spending, you know, a long time there, just watching them because of that joy and that, secret place which I'm not sure if we could if we would send you know a sort of young teenager out into those areas now which is a shame but anyway I I really agree with that idea of the secret space and also we didn't have that disturbance of internet which has been a great thing in a lot of ways but actually to digitally detox for a couple of days is you know is massively important isn't it
1: Absolutely, I mean, there's there's a there's a single estate vineyard on site, and it has a beautiful cafe and restaurant. And so, you can if you're desperate, you can go up there and, and have a coffee and check your messages. But when you're actually at the pod, there's zip zilch nothing. Um, but this, but but then what it does is it brings you into present moment awareness. Like Carl and I have been sat down there on an evening. And you know we talk about the dawn chorus, but I'd never realized the racket that birds make when they're putting themselves to bed. Mm. And actually, when you're sitting there with a glass of wine on, on the you you, you tune into what world the wildlife is up to, and you get this fantastic auditory show, you know, from the birds as they're mm. they're roosting and watching kingfishers and and bats. And so it, it's there's still things to watch, but it's really present moment awareness, which mm. um, is is lovely and I think it just makes you feel better.
0: Now, I'm a tiny bit disappointed, Jenny, because we have chatted on several occasions about this and you have missed out a very important fact that you've just brought in there, that it is actually also situated on a vineyard. (laughs) And I think not too much wine, but a little bit of wine also really (laughs) helps the spirits as well, doesn't it? It does.
1: Especially especially, on a lake with
0: with a loved one.
1: Yes, completely. Um, the vineyard is a really good. The the because the, the it's the, it's a farm. Uh, the chap who owns the farm, uh, he's a bright old character. He's in his he's in his eighties, an ex pro retired surfer, and all his four children have stayed on the farm and they've all diversified. And so uh, it's his daughter Sarah who runs the vineyard with her sons, um, and um, the. The vines are beautiful and you can see the, the, the cafe is all locally sourced produced food. So it's a similar ethos to what we're doing with with the pod. Um, and so, yeah, they do like wine tours and um, and yes, yeah, so you can go up there and, and literally sit drinking Devon wine that was made in that field that you can see there whilst looking down um, nice. at the pod. So, yeah, it is. That's a nice a nice thing for us to have for our guests to be able to access as well.
0: And I think the other side is very much the the conservation side. is obviously an area that, you know, I'm fascinated and, and, you know, passionate about, but obviously it's kind of been in the fabric of what you're building. So not only just in the wood, but in the position on the lake, uh, an area of natural beauty, trying to give people that chance to reconnect with nature because if we're more connected with nature, we'll make those decisions towards nature. So locally uh, sourced food taking a holiday there maybe rather than jumping on a plane which obviously adds you know to your carbon footprint and I know also because you are off grid um, you've actually had to uh, power the pod with with solar panels how's how's that all going
1: um it's been really exciting actually for my husband's amazing problem-solving brain um uh it, it Everything that you need in the pod, we've then had to think, right, how do we do that 100% off grid and sustainably? And that's been a lot of chin scratching. Um, but like you say, we, it's, it's all built from local timbers that were, were sourced from sustainable Devon Forest 10, 10 minutes down the road. The outer shell is also charred. So this is an ancient technique that's been done for thousands of years by the Japanese and the Romans. And if you char the outside, a, it makes it all lovely and black blackened so it sits quietly it's basically like a giant bird hide um but also you don't need to use chemicals so there's no chemicals to preserve the wood um it's 100 percent solar um powered so we've got six solar panels um on the pod that fuel two batteries Um, but all, all they really do is the lighting in the pod and the, the there's a little lpg boiler for the kitchen and the hot shower um but because of the, 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 that's all had to be ecotech, so it's all really low level LED lighting. We want to be minimal impact on the wildlife. So the the outdoor there is some outdoor lighting, but again it's very low level. Uh, so when we had our ecology report done, there were dormice and bats, but we weren't a problem because we we just we low light pollution. Um, everything nothing goes everything comes off the pod so we have a soak away for the gray water system a waterless compost toilet so we're not we're we're mindful of water consumption as well um uh so and and just choices you know there's a lot of guests where they'll say have you got a hot tub that's how i'm going to decide where i'm having my holiday yeah and we've made a decision not to do that because um they're they're not not very sustainable or eco-friendly to run so our solution to that was when this was actually my idea not my husband's was to um we we stuck some catamaran netting on the front edge of the pod so you can climb into the catamaran netting with your gin and tonic and a cushion and literally you're hovering out over the water um so you may not be in hot bubbly water but you're literally suspended over the water um so just creative choices like that um to are uh, climate friendly
0: and I know um obviously not to sort of encourage people to go for the wrong reason uh but there is also a little um, family there that are quite unusual uh, living on the lake isn't there
1: there is so we have uh we have wild beavers um and we just I've been I had a fantastic insightful conversation with Sean McCormack um uh from the who set up Ealing Wildlife Group, um I'm sure many of uh, the listeners will, will be familiar with Sean um around rewilding and conservation and so um we we're get we're getting some trail cameras so that we can from a distance um we, the beavers are definitely there because they keep chewing through the mooring ropes <laughs> for the pod. Um, and they we find the 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 wood that they chewed blocks up the outflow for the lake. So um it's that w they're definitely there. Um, and we've, we we know where their kind of roost, hide, dam um, part on, is. So we're going to um, get a trail camera so that we can just document the wildlife and share that with people that are, are following us. Because I think, we you know, we've got a lot of wildlife on site with, with the beavers. Um, also, Sean's given us some great recommendations for putting owl boxes up, bat boxes, doing bat walks mm. with bat detectors and things whereby we can just bring that level of wild nature to people who who perhaps aren't fortunate enough to live you know with it right next to them in that way but again from a way a perspective where we're not disturbing the wildlife we're just observing it and supporting it and setting up our site so that it's encouraging that and conserving the wildlife that's that's there.
0: No, that's brilliant and I think actually Sean has done a podcast for oh, us and i, I think they that. are or they will be when they are released uh the first beavers in in london for about 400 years so that's really exciting it's been really great to speak to you i think obviously people will want to know where this place is and how they can potentially book it so we'll make sure that we put various uh links at the bottom of the podcast so do go and have a look at those uh but presumably also uh jenny you've got a an email you can shout out now so that people can scribble it down if they want to how they can get in contact with you either for your coaching or for the for the uh, fantastic pod that you've created with your husband
1: definitely so pro- probably my email would be the easiest and then i can i can um, take inquiries on either either fronts uh, so that's jenny J E N Y at vet what I think would be really lovely is to offer VetChat listeners um, a bit of a discount on a stay in, in the pod. So Kyle and I have created a discount code um, that's VetChat10. I'll make sure we put this in the show notes. Um, so for any of you listening to this who fancy a stay in, in Lilypod, um, if, if you go to the Lilypod website, you'd be able to put VetChat10 in. But if you can't remember that, then just email me and I'll make sure that um, we get that for you, sorted for you.
0: Jenny, that's been fantastic. I always enjoy speaking to you, um, and thank you for everything that you're doing for the profession as well, but also for the natural world. We, if we, uh, if we don't care for the natural world, then it's going to be really hard to practice veterinary medicine, isn't it?
1: Definitely. And thank you so much for, for having me. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk uh, to you. and You've been so supportive of everything I've d- done um, through my career. So I think the profession is very lucky. to So you're so brilliant at connecting up um, different people and, and taking everything forward for, for a higher good. So thank you very much for having me.
0: Uh, thank you, Jenny take care and thanks everyone for listening this is Anthony Chadwick from the webinar vet and this has been another episode of vet chat bye bye